0: Markets, speculation, and risk.
1: This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Boys and girls, welcome. What's up? So I trust by now you've had a chance to hear the two previous episodes with Aaron Brown. In my opinion, he was a real standout guest, someone well worth listening to. If you haven't yet heard those two episodes, please add that to your to-do list I think that's very important. Now, on this particular episode, I have another brilliant guest for you, and that is the CEO of Trading Technologies, Rick Lane. You may recall Trading Technologies have sponsored the podcast and my events in the past, but bringing Rick on the podcast was 100% my idea. This is not like a sponsored interview or anything funny like that, just to be clear. The real reason why I did ask Rick to come on the podcast was because of this. You know, if we're being real with each other, not everyone is cut out to be a trader, okay? And that's totally fine. Trust me, it's not a bad thing. And saying this, that also doesn't mean you cannot play an important role within trading. And for some of you, that means leveraging skills which you've already attained. And this is something I want to bring attention to. Rick has never been a trader, and prior to teaming up with his cousin, a interest rate trader, he hadn't even heard of a bid and offer. And if he had, he certainly didn't know the difference or the meaning of the two. He used to model combat scenarios for the military. He was also a product manager at Google at one point. And like I mentioned. Nowadays, he's the CEO of Trading Technologies, which is one of the leading futures trading platforms widely used by banks, hedge funds, prop traders, etc. So, I won't say too much more on this because this is what we discuss in the first part of our conversation. It's really interesting, and then later on, we discuss some of the unique challenges to companies developing trading software are the latency wars driving to a close? Uh, Plus, Rick brings up something which will probably blow your mind. It certainly blew uh, my mind. (laughs) And then later on, Rick also shares uh, some advice for anyone who may wish to play the role of a technologist in the world of trading. All right, so let's get into it. This is episode 151. Here is my guest, Rick Lane. How was the FIA... Expo the other week.
2: Yeah, it was good. Uh, busy as always. Um, you know, we had a lot to talk about Norensic. Uh, our, our acquisition of Norensic was, um, recent news. And so that, that drew a lot of attention, a lot of excitement. Um, there's, there seems to be a, uh, a real interest in that space in general, but also the application of machine learning to to it, but also to capital markets more broadly. So there are a lot of people stopping by the booth and and uh, wanting to dig into the Norensic platform.
1: okay. And were you on any panels or give a talk or anything like that? You know,
2: i uh, I managed to escape any speaking duties this year, so it was <laughs> it was a relatively laid back conference for me.
1: Ah, oh, nice, nice. Cool, man. Well, tell us a little bit about Nurensic because we were talking about that last time before the power cutout. Last time we were speaking, I think you'd only just acquired them. It was like a, a week or so ago. So, what is Nurensic? Tell us a little bit about that and what got you interested in it?
2: Sure. So, Nurensic is a, uh, was a uh, company founded about two and a half years ago in, in 2015 here in Chicago. Uh, they're... Their product and, and their innovation was uh, applying machine learning, uh, a, a subset of artificial intelligence, to the trade surveillance problem. Uh, and I call it a problem because there's trade surveillance software has existed for many many years, and by that I mean uh, software that that aims to identify when a trader or a trading firm is participating in manipulative trading practices or you know bad behavior in general and you know as defined by whatever governing body is defining that that asset class or that that trading uh, area. And so it's been a problem uh, historically because it's as volumes of, of trading data continue to grow with the advent of, of automation and now that just about every trader these days has some level of automation, finding bad behavior can be very difficult to do is somewhat of a needle in a haystack problem. But the real problem has always been false positives. And so if you're a compliance officer at a trading firm or at an FCM or at a bank, and your job is to monitor your firm or your customer's trading, uh, generally, historically, your options have been rule-based systems. And by that, I mean uh, you encode uh, you know, if then checks that basically say if if you see this this behavior, this action followed by this action followed immediately by this action, then flag this as let's call it spoofing or something, you know name your name your bad behavior. And the problem is that uh, it's very difficult to to identify accurately trader intent. And so applying these relatively rigid rules, Really results in lots of false positives. That um, you, you, the the aim is to not let anything slip through slip through the cracks and, and fly under the radar. And so you, they you end up designing these rules to basically catch everything. And so it becomes the job of the compliance officer or or you know the poor soul whose job it is to to, to sift through these reams and reams of data of these of these alerts to to basically determine um you know were any of these actually bad behavior uh the vast majority of them likely weren't and so long story short it 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 becomes a very difficult problem to solve well and, and you, what you end up having is with all this noise and all these false positives, um, it becomes hard for the compliance officer or, or whomever to really do at the end of the day what, what they're trying to do, and that's identify bad behavior. So with the advent of machine learning and the, the application of it to this problem, the, the, the folks over at Norensic really caught on to something that – Uh, allowed them to uh, apply machine learning to really identify with far less, far fewer uh, uh, false positives, essentially trader intent. And so they're able to train this model uh, on known data sets that regulators have given them, that clients have given them. Uh, obviously anonymized data sets but but known be, known instances of bad behavior and they're able to feed this through this this machine learning uh, platform to essentially get smarter and be able to better identify uh, similar patterns uh, with with varying levels of confidence um, on on real-time data and so uh, it has resulted in, in what what's called norensic score which does just that it's a, a platform whose whose reason for being is Making it incredibly easy to take, you know, hundreds of millions of, of, of records of trade data within a trading firm, and very quickly identify, uh, you know, sift sift the the noise from the meaningful bits of, of insight, and allow a firm or a compliance officer or, or even an individual trader um, to to understand uh, very easily their trading behavior to make sure that they're staying above board. Where we find this really compelling is it's still to this day that the Norensic score product Is uh, an installed on-site application, and and kind of uh, there there is a a, an integration process and an installation process when a a firm wants to say, hey, you know, I'd love I'd love to have my trading activity monitored by this. Where we see this as being a really compelling bolt-on to what we're doing at TT is in making this really software as a service, the same way our TT platform is. So if you're an FCM, a large bank. Uh, trading firm, or even an individual trader, and, and you want to uh, have the protection of something like Score. Um, it's literally just a, a click away, uh, and and all of your trade activity without doing any integration, without doing any installation, um, will will run through this process, and you'll get your reports. daily reports, hope soon to be real time reports. So really bolting what's still kind of a a relatively high installation and integration cost platform like Norenzo that does these really innovative, really game-changing things in the surveillance space and making it as easy as, as ticking a box um, for, for the trader is something that we think is, is really going to bring this type of technology to the masses. Um, and I think it, it'll be good for everyone.
1: Okay. So by the sounds of things, it was certainly up until this point, it's been widely used by people in compliance roles is that going to continue to be the case moving forward now that you guys have acquired it? like do you feel as though it's going to be used or be of benefit to like maybe even individual traders themselves who are using the tt platform for example?
2: so so we do so uh, what I would say is actually the norensic score product um, has uh, penetration in in trading firms as well and that's that's trading firms who uh, may be doing that uh, uh, on the request of their of their FCM of their broker, uh, it, but it may just be a trading firm um, who uh, just simply wants to to make sure that they're taking every step they can. You know, trading firms can get very large, and and being able to police. All of the traders within within a firm can, can be difficult. So um, we're we're actually seeing adoption uh, kind of across the board. But to answer your question, we absolutely do think that even the individual trader uh, would would benefit from something like this. And and now that it's as accessible, and we haven't really figured out individual trader level pricing yet, um, but it would suffice it to say it would. The commercial impact to an individual trader would be so small that it would be a no brainer for them to turn this on. and And by that, I mean not just monitoring as an individual trader, my own trading activity, but imagine now with with MiFID, uh, this thing we all love that's coming down the the pike here in a couple months. MiFID has certain algo uh, testing and stress testing requirements uh, for automated traders. Imagine now not only uh, running your algo against known data sets to make sure that, you know, from a MIFID compliance perspective, your algo uh, doesn't go haywire or doesn't violate risk limits, but also now imagine being able to see your compliance score for that algo because you might be building something that you're worried you think it's above board and you think it's not, you know, participating in any of these known manipulative trading practices, but, you know, it's uh, – Programming is difficult and, and, and building automated trading strategies is, is very difficult, as, as you know, and as and I'm sure a lot of lots of your listeners know. So making sure that maybe some emergent behaviors that become that come out of that algo aren't doing something that could that could cause a red flag. So it's almost like preemptive uh, compliance analysis. Before I even turn this algo on, I just want to I want to rest assured that it's not doing something um, that's, you know, th- that could be frowned upon. So we see this as, as really having application even down to the individual trade and where we want to take this uh, beyond compliance. And that's where I think long term this is really exciting to us because machine learning is, you know, a couple years ago, it was that that interesting thing that very few people knew about, uh, just that it was doing some cool stuff at places like Google and, and Facebook and Amazon. Now it's really becoming a household name. And I think in just a few more years, you're going to see machine learning uh, and, and sort of deep learning, uh, uh, that, that that science of artificial intelligence really start to have applications throughout trading uh, much more than, than just compliance. And, and I think this actually gives us a shot in the arm at TT to take uh, this type of technology, which still, even though it's it's starting to be a household name, it still takes a fairly um, unique skill set and, and experience set and, and and this gives us a shot in the arm to really take this type of platform and break it out of just the compliance space and and start to give traders who have access to all their data on the TT platform really valuable insights that would be very difficult to to obtain the old the, the, in the traditional ways of, of analyzing trade data and market data so we're, we're excited uh, both for the short term but also where we think machine learning can can be applied down the road.
1: Just briefly, can you explain to us what is was it MIFID or MIFID? What's yeah, that about? Yeah.
2: So MIFID, and I'm not I'm not going to try to explain what that acronym stands for, but it's the new European regulatory MIFID two. Actually, it's it's the sequel. It's new European uh, regulations for for trading, and a big component of that is uh, ALGO, uh, automated trading, uh, the registering and approving of of ALGOs um, uh, in futures markets, European futures markets. And part of that requirement is not only at a trading firm having an approval workflow. So if you're an ALGO developer um, and you've built a new version of an ALGO, you can't just go turn that on under MIFID. Um, And in production, you need to have someone Kind of green green stamp it say that this algo uh, is approved to be run in production and part of that <coughs> is uh, requirements around algo stress testing. So <coughs> making sure that uh, that your algo when run against uh, essentially back testing when run against known uh, date uh, date ranges and and for the for the given contracts that it's trading that the algo doesn't violate certain constraints that it doesn't exceed risk. Limits that it doesn't um, you know over message uh, so that stress testing piece of this is uh, is, is the biggest uh, amount of work for companies like TT or at least for TT it was um, it's actually a good thing though because back testing is something that we've always, We've never really developed a, a backtesting solution at TT that is commensurate with the rest of our, of our products. Um, and so this is kind of forcing our hands. So we're actually really excited. About it. It's a lot of work, but we're really excited about it. And this requirement actually goes act, uh, becomes uh, live January 2nd. So a lot of firms are scrambling, um, a lot of our client, uh, customers uh, as well, to make sure that they're Mifid 2 compliant. But this algo backtesting is, is a big component of that.
1: So who does this apply to? Like, surely this doesn't apply to independent traders who are just trading their own account from home.
2: I believe it does. I, I, I believe any, any automated trading, regardless of how, how large or, or small the firm is, even down to the individual trader, is subject to the ALGO constraints and the ALGO r- regulations around stress testing and what have you.
1: Right. So this is only in futures and only in Euro- European markets? That, that's correct. The Markets
2: and Financial Instruments Directive is what it stands for. Uh, that's correct. Um, it is only European and it is only uh, derivatives, I believe.
1: Right. Well, if anyone's interested, we'll dig up a link and post it in the show <laughs> notes for more information. I suspect your
2: listeners who are active uh, automated traders trading European markets are, are well aware of it. But um, if they're not, t- the, the clock is ticking um, and <laughs> January 2nd. Uh, for all, if uh, all signs are pointing to that date holding, so the clock is ticking.
1: Okay. Okay. Right. Well, let's hear a little bit about your backstory, Rick. You have a very interesting background. You actually, prior to trading, you were working with the military. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things you were doing there?
2: Sure. Um, I was actually working for a uh, US consulting uh, company who's Primary uh, client was the U.S. Department of Defense, so the various branches of the military, the uh, the Defense Department, the uh, the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, so on and so forth. Um, I worked in a um, in a modeling and simulation uh, group there, so we essentially built war games. Um, everything from campaign level uh, war game simulations. So you know, if if we went to war with country X Y Z, what would happen? And if the, if it was in the year 2025, uh, and and we had these capabilities and they had these capabilities, sort of what would happen? And so we you know we would we'd build a computer simulation that would obviously not spit out the right answer because you know these were all very wild uh, theories and, and and guesses. It was more about facilitating the exercise itself, and so. Um, like most uh, militaries, I suspect, uh, the US, uh, U.S. military partakes in war games just to keep keep their minds sharp, just to think through some of these thought exercises. And so our, our platform and the technology we built um, uh, helped facilitate that. So everything from that type of war game all the way down to very granular analysis uh, around uh, uh, combat modeling, around how uh, terrorist networks – um, grow and manip- and are manip- manipulated um, things like that, and so um, uh, in, in a lot of ways, um, uh, that those those skills that I that I learned and, and the types of uh, clients that I had, and I did that for about three years. In many ways, similar to my experience coming into trading, I originally came uh, in, into the trading world um, because my cousin, who is actually one of the largest. Uh, interest rate traders at the time, um, this was around 2005. He saw an impending change in the interest rate markets and in the futures markets in general, and that was uh, he saw the the inflection point where automated trading um, was really going to change the dynamics of, of of trading in general. And so he was a floor trader. So he he basically convinced me to leave the, this world of, of war gaming to come out and help him kind of evolve into an automated trading shop uh, and could sort of evolve with, with the industry. And so um, I did that. I, I took him up on this offer uh, and, and came out and learned the industry for the first, you know, six to 12 months, which was one of the more humbling experiences of my life. But then started to build, uh, started to build our own internal trading system that let us um, uh, try to stay ahead of the curve with respect to automated trading. And, and, you know, he was right, obviously. I remember when I came out to visit him before I accepted the offer, in the fall of 2005 the floor was still a madhouse it was it was just still craziness he brought me down it was one of the most one of the most vivid memories of, of of my life, and when I came back and started uh, in April of two thousand six, so about five or six months later, you could hear a pin drop down there. So it it, it changed incredibly rapidly, as everyone knows, and and you know the rest is history. But um, the the reason I say it, it's similar in a lot of ways to what I was doing in the in the defense world in the world world was because. In the wargaming world, I was building a really complex technology to, to, to do really complex things. So applying graph theory, for instance, to terrorist network modeling. And you know, there's lots of really interesting science and math around graph theory, around how to look at a network and identify key players or identify key channels of communication, that sort of thing. Well, this technology is being used by two, three, four-star generals in, in the various armed forces and they're not technology experts they're not graph theory experts and so we the challenge was really taking very complex technology and presenting it in a way that people who didn't necessarily understand the underlying technology could still gain insight from the the analysis that that it was doing for them and and it's funny because in the back in the trading world now fast forward to you know a year or two years on the job I was the only developer uh, there. I was, it was me and a bunch of other uh, traders, guys that were still down on the floor, and it became a sort of an untenable situation for me because I was the only one writing code. Everyone else was down on the floor, and I was up in an office. And we had this intercom system, so anytime a, you know, anytime some market imbalance occurred, a big order came in, or someone saw an opportunity, they'd yell up through this through this intercom system. And as quickly as I could, I would uh, write up a, a program that, that did exactly what they needed to do. They'd say, you know, we want to lean, we want to work this leg. Uh, when we get filled, turn around and do this, this, and this. If we don't get filled, then do this. And I would frantically try to string this together as quickly as I could, uh, hating every minute of it because I, they wanted to turn this thing on in the production markets, you know, it, it immediately. And every bone in my body said, "Well, you know, software always has bugs, and we need to test it." And and so there's always this kind of uh, te- conflict and tension between me, the, the main person producing the technology, and and the traders. And so I basically said, "Screw it! I'm going to build a a platform that lets." these traders who know nothing about programming, um, essentially uh, uh, control their own destiny, allow them to build their own trading algos on the floor. They all had these kind of handheld Windows computers. So I built a visual interface that let them essentially put these blocks together. And these blocks all did something that these guys understood really well. We had a block that would make markets in a certain order. We had a block that would uh, you know, pull prices in from a certain instrument. And they could string these things together in interesting ways that let them – essentially build their own algos on the fly without me having to be in the loop um, and do it very quickly and also do it very safely. <laughs> and, and so um, in a lot of ways, this, this same kind of lesson learned that I had in, in, the, in the wargaming space was, was paying dividends in this space too because I was having these, these traders who would profess that they knew nothing about programming, essentially programming, although they didn't know it. And so it was just a really interesting thing. Anyway, uh, just to catch you up to sort of where we are today – We realized we had something with this visual, with this visual algo development, um, something unique.
1: Let me, let me jump in here. So I have a few questions just before we get too far ahead of ourselves um, around kind of around the time where you came onto the floor um, or started working with your cousin, I should say, but just one question prior to that, you know, these types of things you were doing with the working for the military or contracting to the military, you know, this, this sounds like very complex, advanced type of modeling and work how were you able to test the accuracy of your models like is that something that you had to do
2: in some cases we did so uh in the um in 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 things that were testable uh we did um and uh i probably need to be a little careful about what i talk about in terms of what we're actually doing but there were put it put it this way some of the modeling we were doing um, we knew what the right answers were or should be and, and we knew the constraints and we knew based on a certain set of inputs what the outputs should look and so we were able to test that that type of model very well and we had enough data and enough know-how and subject matter expertise in-house to test that Some of the broader things so the the more uh, the more uh, high level models where we were really testing you know, if this capability is even possible 30 years from now, um, what, what will it mean for our, for our naval forces? Well, first of all, we don't even know if that technology will exist 30 years from now. So we certainly don't know if what the computer tells us is going to happen is, is, is realistic or, or is correct. So there is really this, this spectrum and the sliding scale between these types of, of modeling exercises that we had to do. And obviously it was depending on the client uh, and depending on the problem they were trying to solve. Um, but in some cases we could. In some cases uh, t- testing that was, was just completely impossible.
1: Sure. Okay. I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about your cousin's motivations for uh, wanting you to come and work with him. Uh, So how come he had the foresight to uh, want to automate some parts of his trading operation? Like why did he feel as though it was necessary to do so in order to stay relevant? Like what if he didn't do that? What did he think would happen? What if he continued to just keep doing what he'd been doing?
2: Uh, Great question. I mean, uh, what gave him that foresight? I I don't know. I think he probably saw enough. um, Who knows if it was around, uh, you know, he probably saw enough instances where um, clearly something that could move faster than a human was getting an advantage over him. Um, He probably saw, you know, the inflection point of Technology in that space just in general becoming more mature, you know, these these were these were guys and girls that were down in the pit trading all day, every day. But nevertheless, technology was was becoming more and more prevalent, you know, whether it was the the handheld computers they were using in the pit, uh, whether it was uh, advancements and and clear investments that that like the CME and the Board of Trade were making in their electronic trading platforms. I think he just really, at the end of the day, realized that technology had had kind of disrupted just about every industry, uh, save uh, you know the the capital markets and trading, and, and and it had already done so to some extent in the equities market, um, and I think he just he just was you know uh, thoughtful enough to to realize that it would happen to him as well and he he didn't want to become a dodo bird essentially. So, um, he, you know, he, he didn't want to become irrelevant. And so it started out slow for us. It wasn't, you know, fully automating his trade, uh, because you know, he, he was a really, really good trader. And, and in a way that even today, even with today's incredible machine learning technology, um, I think it would be really tough to replicate, uh, with, with a, with a computer. Um, so this was really more about augmenting his trading initially, um, just giving him that extra little bit of edge in, in the firm, that extra little bit of edge, even not necessarily in, in, in terms of trading, but even looking at post-trade analysis. So uh, really uh, overhauling his his uh, the tools that he had to look at his trading from yesterday and figure out what went wrong or what went well. Um, so it, it wasn't really he, he didn't realize he had to fully automate on day one but he knew he knew that's where things were going and we took baby steps uh, to get there
1: right and when you came to work with him at the time did you have any interest in markets or did you just kind of see it as something that might be a cool <laughs> technology project to work on
2: that's a really great question. So I I, I went to Georgia Tech undergrad uh, for, for college, and there was zero exposure to capital markets or to trading or really to finance in general there. It's an engineering school through and through. That's changed, actually, I'm, I'm happy to say. But back 15 years ago, I came out of school with zero experience. I didn't know what a bid and offer was, uh, believe it or not. And um, so, no, I came in about as green as someone can, to, it was really the latter. It was it was me seeing that uh, there was a really challenging industry that technology hadn't quite taken a foothold, um, and and I thought you know it would be an interesting challenge for me personally. So um, and so I was obviously right. But uh, no, I, I came in I came in knowing about as little as you can know. And so the first six months or so was essentially boot camp for me, just getting getting up to speed and and knowing the mechanics of the markets themselves so that I could I could even hope to start to contribute in some way on a, on the on the computer side.
3: Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the US markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Now, before you started telling us a little bit about some of the things you began to uh, build and develop once you started working with your cousin and you know the other um, people who were part of his operation, the other traders, your goal from the sounds of things was really to try and make things simple and easy to use. Right? Yes. Okay. Do you think there's a downside? This might be a bit of a strange question, but do you think there's a downside to making things too easy for users? Like are they maybe doing something which they don't really understand? I don't know if that was a good question.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's a great question. It's one that we've asked ourselves. And and let me...
1: Let me just say, the reason I ask this question is because, you know, sometimes I get people emailing me who are like interested in getting into automated trading or they're like, I've got the strategy, I want to be able to backtest it. And I know there are like some software platforms around which like make it very easy for you to be able to do that, like especially like more simple strategies. Um, But I think there can be that can also be dangerous as well. You know, someone doesn't actually take the time to understand some of the pitfalls of backtesting and um, how the results can be misleading, et cetera. So by making software really easy for the end user, is there also a downside to that? Does that make sense?
2: It makes total sense. um, uh, And and the answer is, uh, in certain cases, absolutely. And and I think what what really... Matters if someone if you're if you're going to give someone uh, something that really makes what used to be very difficult very easy, um, it, it, particularly in a space where there's so much to lose if if what they do is broken or wrong or unintended, you know has unintended consequences in order for that to work i think you need to also offer more than just whatever that tool is and in other words one of the things that that we realized early on because trust me the the uh, the, in, the initial users of of the the what we call the algo design lab or adl uh, of this were people who had no business and my cousin will laugh if he ever if he, if he hears this, uh, who had no business building ultra low latency trading strategies, uh, you know without without applying any any testing or any uh, quality assurance processes to. Um, but the reality is we we knew that going into this, and we made sure that uh, all of the surrounding uh, aspects of the of the technology, so whether it's a scripting language or whether it's a visual uh, tool like ours was, um, we we put in you know really in the user's face uh, what is going to happen uh, when they run this algo um, coupled with uh, really sufficient and granular risk controls around making sure that um, they can control their automated trading um, in, in a way that even if, they do something dumb even if there you know there's a flaw in their logic or or you know they they back test something and and think that the back testing is is indicative of what's going to happen when they run it going forward that they can still mitigate problems when they arise and so it's a great question it really is and and it's something that We've always taken seriously because we are giving. You know, this is this is a really bad analogy, but but it's the first thing that pops into my head. Um, You know, you're giving someone a loaded weapon, and it's a very powerful weapon, and you want to make sure that they that they use it well, and that they they follow all the safety procedures, and that that it's it's incredibly hard to do something dumb with. Um, And so we made sure and and really have have continued over the last now eight or nine years as this product has been on the market to make sure that we are guiding users through it so that, you know, for instance, you can build a a bit of logic that we will visually call out to the user and say, hey, we need to get your attention. We think that what you just did here could lead to, uh, you know, endlessly lifting the offer or hitting the bid. And or we think that you um, could get into a, 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 loop of placing orders and, and, um, you know, violate your risk limits or, so we're actually able to highlight these common pitfalls. And, and frankly, we do this because these are things that I did, um, when I was writing code, when I first came out to, to Chicago to, to, to build these trading strategies, these are all the problems that I had uh, and, and mistakes that I made. And so, um, we we encoded these common pitfalls so that the trader or the user or the the developer who's using the platform can can really rest assured that when when this thing says it's ready to go um, it's going to do what they intended it to do, but nevertheless, you know, it's, it's still obviously possible to make mistakes, but, um, it, it's a great question. And and I think, I think we, you just can't be cavalier about it. it, whether you're the user or whether you're the technology provider, you need to understand that you're giving something that, that, that is very powerful to, to the end user. And you need to make sure that they are confident and feel confident, um, that they can control the experience.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Now I did like your analogy of, um, so it's like handing someone a loaded weapon. I think that's great. Now, initially you developed a software for internal purposes. At some point you decided to start offering this software out to other people as well. And I find that kind of interesting because obviously, like I said, you developed it for internal purposes and it was working well for um, your guys. Why did you want to share it with others?
2: Great question. So we – this was – probably middle of 2008. So things were, the world was, was changing. And we realized that with the Algo Design Lab, um, we had something that while it was an advantage to us, it it allowed our traders to control more of, of what they used to depend on me or, or, or others for. Um, we also knew that in the hands of others we didn't view that as cannibalizing our existing business and our, our existing trading we also knew frankly that trading technologies the you know the 800 pound gorilla in the room at the time didn't have something like this and so we thought well TT's a, a really successful company um, they are in the business of of building tools for traders and you know lots of professional traders have it why can't we supplement our our existing trading operation by selling this the software commercially and, and unlike tt at the time you know this is built by a trading firm you know built by traders that's in active use today and in fact that when we launched we went to fia expo the the big annual uh, trade show that, that actually just wrapped up as you mentioned a, a couple weeks ago um, we went in and at our booth in our demo we had live trading uh, on, on my cousin's account we had we had algos running all throughout the day we were so proud of that that we brought these giant speakers and these subwoofers that every time we got filled, <laughs> it would like shake the it would shake the room that we were in, and and it worked. People came over and they couldn't believe that we were letting these things run as we were, you know, engaging in conversation and and we're like, oh yeah, by the way, the, the people who built these algos, you know, they've never written a line of code in their lives, and and so it, it was we we we, fit, we thought we had something unique compared to TT. So we said, why let, let's give it a shot. Let's try to sell this thing commercially. Um, because we we didn't think it would jeopardize our existing trading, um, and and so that's that's why we initially uh, uh, set set out to to build the commercial uh, trading arm of that.
1: <laughs> that's very cool, and it actually reminds me of something that uh, are you do you know of Manoj Narang? Um, the name sounds vaguely familiar, but no, I don't I don't believe so. Yeah, he started uh, TradeWorks. Um, he's since left that. Started Mana Partners now, uh, well known in the high frequency space. I interviewed him. Must have been earlier in the year. And that's actually something he said. He said that sometimes a lot of people don't realize the actual technology um, and the software that's developed like inside some of these trading firms actually has more value than just the P&L that it can extract from the markets. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, so that's a really interesting point. Now, obviously... Uh, this software was acquired by TT and you've come on at TT now. So I'd just like to ask a few questions, I guess more around fintech and general kind of things about the technology space. One of those being, or I think this might be a good question to kick things off, having your background, um, you know, you come from a developer's background, does that have significant benefits for someone who's in the role of CEO at a technology company? Like, are there great benefits to the company to have a CEO who comes from a development background?
2: Well, I'm biased. Uh, so so of course, I, I yeah. think it does. Um, <laughs> I think it does. And and, and look, I, I think it also brings its own set of challenges as well. You know, I, I've always long thought uh, very analy- analytically about uh, every, you know, most of the problems that I faced in my career. Um, and in a lot of cases in this role, you have to kind of take a step back but I really, I think it does. Uh, and I think it does for a couple of reasons. Number one, I mean, our, our job, uh, our, our reason for being is, is delivering and, and building and deploying technology. And so I think understanding the constraints in which we're able to do that well. And, and, and by that, I mean the, the you know, the, the rate and the pace at which we can innovate, um, helps me forecast. It helps me, um, uh keep uh, priorities in line where they should be you know when 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 you're you're constantly trying to to balance a global sales force who is hearing feedback from from the trading community and, and wanting us to build 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 and build new features and build new access to new markets and build new access to new asset classes um, with the realities of how long it takes to actually build these things and and, and do this work and so I think having, that and, and you know, I, I'm still. I actually still contribute code to this day. Um, it, it, it both helps me balance uh, out my, you know, my sanity to some extent, but it also, I think, keeps my finger on the pulse of how the machine that we have, that that, that builds, um, you know, and and that continues to innovate how that's how that machine is running. And so, I, I think having that that insight. Um, is, is really valuable for us. And, and I've obviously surrounded myself uh, with, with uh, a, a room full of really great leaders and, and, and great people who can help, help me with, with things outside of technology as well. Um, but, but no, I, I, th- I think it helps a lot. Um, and, and I think it, uh, it just keeps me closer to the, to the, to the people and the, the, the processes that we have um, and, and helps me, uh, keep track and, and, and really at the end of the day plan better. And I think that's, that's half the job is, is planning and prioritizing and and trying to figure out, uh, the best way to apply the limited and scarce resources that we have.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I, (laughs) I realized as soon as I asked that question that, um, of course you might be a little bit biased there, but no, awesome answer. Why do you choose to stay involved in fintech rather than technology in another industry? Um, like is there anything which excites you specifically about fintech?
2: Absolutely. I mean, and it's why I came back. So we glossed over a little bit. So I, I, as you mentioned, Tt acquired um, the the company that we co-founded back in two thousand and ten, and I spent about two years integrating the Algo design lab into TT's platform. But then I left, I I actually went to to Google outside of this industry, about as outside of this industry as you can get. Um, and, and pretty much immediately, uh, I I felt the draw to come back. Um, it it, it turns out that, um, less than a year later, the former CEO, um, called me up and said, Hey, I I want you to come back in in the CTO role. And really, I want you to rebuild this technology from the ground up. And at, at the time, um, uh, it was it was a no brainer for me to come back, and the reason for that is because, at least the trading world and fintech is an incredibly broad term. You know everything from banking to payments to to trading and what we're doing in our little niche uh, corner of the world. But at least in our space, there are problems that are being solved that are are truly not being solved anywhere else, and and, and in ways that uh, that aren't being applied anywhere else. And you know, working at a place like Google. You're working with a lot of really smart people who are solving a lot of really challenging scale problems and data problems uh, and latency problems, but those pale in comparison to to a lot of the scale and and latency problems uh, that that we have to solve in, in our world. And so I think just coming into work every day knowing that that you're doing something that um, that a lot of people have failed at doing, um, and, and trying to solve problems that a lot of people have, have failed at solving is exciting in and of its own self. But, um, I think our space in general and in particular, I should say, uh, really poses some problems that are unique in the technology world. And that's just, that's just fun to do.
1: Are you able to maybe give us a couple example of some of those problems and just to bounce another question off that, like, you know, and you don't even have to be specific to TT here. But what are some of the greatest challenges for companies who are developing trading software in current times?
2: I'll start with the first part of that question. I mean, one, and it's it's you've probably had you've probably had two dozen people talk about this on your show, but but it's it it bears repeating again. The the you know we 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 aren't um, uh, our technology. In, in, in lots of cases, likely isn't as fast as you know the fastest uh, uh, elite prop trading firms in the world. Nevertheless, uh, we measure we measure uh, success in terms of latency by anything less than thirty microseconds uh, from tick to trade, which is just a ridiculously small number. And and trying to shave even five microseconds from that. Um, is 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 such an incredibly challenging problem that that not only um, requires a a an incredible uh, 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 mastery of of software development and and you know really eking every last bit out of out of uh, you know traditional CPU and computer. Um, but, but hardware expertise and networking expertise and, and, and that race to always be um, incredibly fast so that our clients and our, and our end users um, have that, that great advantage, um, but do so at global scale. No one else in the world is solving these problems. You know, Google obviously has global scale, but you know, when you when you do a Google search, they're happy if they deliver that answer to you in thirty milliseconds. Well, thirty milliseconds is a lifetime. You may as well you may as well be down on the floor trading um, if if you're going to be th- if it's going to take you thirty milliseconds to make a decision. So, um, it's it's those types of problems that really you know generally in in the in the technology world, you can either have really really fast or lots of throughput at global scale. Trying to do both is is a problem that, you know, still we invest a lot of money and time in in solving um, and, you know, keeps keeps a lot of people up at night um, because it it is an incredibly uh, difficult uh, problem to solve and to stay, continue to innovate in. But then the second part of your question, um, uh, you know, what are are challenges generally for, for people entering this market or even in this space? Um, everything i just said you know if if performance is and 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 there, there are lots of platforms out there that that don't have to shave microseconds off that do really great things and so that's not always a problem for everyone in this space um but nevertheless uh it's it's an industry that changes i suspect rapidly than most um and and in as unforgiving as than most in terms of um, you know for us uh, and, and for I think for anyone who's, who's trading multiple markets or building technology that, that writes to, that, that connects you know their users and their clients to multiple markets, um, you've got different regulatory uh, uh, regimes. you've got, uh, different exchanges who who trade at different hours of the day who who use different technology that lets you connect to them um, who have different rules around what you know how orders need to be formatted and and they're always changing and exchanges have have you know changed their platforms upgrade their platforms have uh, you know unplanned outages um, you know have different holiday schedules because one's in in Asia Pac and the other ones in the U S. Um, and, and that that problem in general, it would if I were if I were trying to be an upstart uh, technology company in this space, that stuff would make me would keep me up at night because that the that's I think why there is such a barrier to to to, to new entrance in this space. Um, it's just it, the, the, this this industry and this world in general. Is growing and changing at such a rapid clip, and, and it's not slowing down, and it's only becoming more complex, and layering on, um, you know, uh, making sure that that your technology is there when you, when your clients need it most, because this is an industry that forget building technology if you're if you're a participant, if you're a trader. You need to know that that um, you know that that the market is accessible and at your fingertips when you need it. it, these are all just really challenging problems to solve. And even if you're not trying to shave microseconds off in some capacity, you have to solve them. And so I, I think those are the, that 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 really presents the toughest kind of set of challenges for for other providers.
1: Yeah. and just as you bring it up there, what is your take on the whole latency race? Like obviously, it's been a big thing over recent years, but, You know, are we almost at a point where it's literally, and I don't like to really use this word, so I'm going to use it loosely, but like impossible to get much quicker. Like is there, are we almost at the end of that trend so,
2: so what I'd say is some, some people are, and in some, uh, in, in some instances, in other words, um, you take, uh, you take the, you know, just pick the, the, the most sophisticated, uh, uh, prop trading firm or hedge fund that you can think of. And, and, and whoever that is probably has, um, uh, in fact, I know they have some really, really smart people doing some really, really interesting things in, in terms of performance, uh, for very specific trades um, you know they can they can embed that 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 algo on silicon. They can put it in an, in an FPGA, uh, basically a programmable hardware device. They can even embed algos in in network switches. Um, and but those uh, those are few and far between in terms of the firms that have the resources and the capability to do that. But also few and far between in terms of the the, the applications where that level of that type of trading uh, can be applied. Um, then you take it a step back and, and look at a, a, a company like us. So, so, so to answer your question, I I do think we're, we're you know, a select few are are about as close to zero as they're going to get. Obviously, they're measure they measure their latency in nanoseconds, and you can get smaller than nanoseconds, but um, they're they're really butting up against the speed of light constraints um, uh, more than anything else. Until we can go faster than the speed of light, um, we'll we'll have a problem getting faster. But 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 what we're also seeing is technologies that were five years ago only available to a select few um, become commoditized. And so where TT stands is we're not we're not embedding algos on network switches. but we are uh, leveraging uh, s- some commodity, but even some what what we would probably not classify as commodity because it's slightly higher end and slightly more specific, but still lets us and our client base um, remain incredibly flexible. In other words, if you've built an algo and you embed it on a network switch, and you realize, oh crap, I, I did this one thing wrong, and I need to now go change it. Well, you know, good luck uh, getting getting that that fix embedded in there. Obviously, it's possible, but it's going to take forever. Uh, versus, you know, you're using a platform like the Algo Design Lab. You know, you can within a minute make a change, test something, see it doesn't work make another tweak and deploy to production and do so you know where your algo is quoting in 20 to 40 microseconds that's really really compelling and that's that's possible because a lot of the technologies that we now leverage which were incredibly expensive and probably out of our and most people's reach 5 years ago now are and so i think what you'll see is you're, there's almost two curves there's the one that the the you know the uber you know, top 0.01% of participants are, are able to do in terms of microwave towers and, and all the, the types of things I mentioned earlier. Um, and then there's kind of the, the commodity curve. That, and, and they will eventually converge. You know, t- 10 years from now, TT will certainly have microwave towers and we'll, we, we will have uh, algos embedded on silicon um, for certain applications and for certain clients. Um, but, but, but I think, I think that's the way this is going to continue to play out. It's still something that we have to invest in and focus on and, and make sure we're, you know, a hundred percent acutely aware of our performance and of our client's performance, because it is still very important. Um, but that race to zero, um, I, I think is, is pretty close to over for some.
1: Okay. Can you just explain to us what it means to embed an algo on a network switch like <laughs> Sure. Sounds sophisticated. What what actually is that?
2: Yeah, so it it's um and and believe me I I know only enough to be dangerous here. So in general, building hardware-based solutions for automated trading is is ideal because uh software is by all, uh, in, in relative terms, incredibly slow when it comes to hardware. Um, so the moment you know, the moment a message comes from a, a, an exchange on a network device, and that network device passes that message uh, via an Ethernet cable to your server, and that server receives that message, and now gives it that now the server passes that message up to your trading application. That that process passing it up to the trading application and having your trading application react to that price update by saying, oh, you know what, now I want to go submit a new order. That's incredibly, incredibly slow. Software is, is is relatively, incredibly slow. And so what a lot of firms do in terms of embedding algos on chips is never never reaching that last point. In other words, that if you've got a switch that's on your network, a price update comes in, the switch itself can can decode that price update. Can uh, encode a new wire to go, whether you're you know quoting options or whether you're doing something like spreading two two contracts against each other, that switch itself uh, at at hardware speed, so at line rate speed, meaning very, very fast, can 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 most switches, all their job is to do is to take a packet on the wire and send it somewhere else. These switches can take a packet on the wire. Uh, actually gain some meaning from it, whether it's a price update or whether it's an order fill or something, and actually uh, have some embedded code that says, ah, based on that price update, I'm going to change my price of this order to this price. And and it can do that without uh, without ever, not only ever having to, to go to software, but we never even need to send that packet to a, a server to process. So the switch is able to um, as fast as anything else in a network can do, it can actually respond and participate in, in automated trading. And so that, that's that's where that comes into play. Again, it's, it's where we've seen it being applied. It's only for very specific um, types of strategies that, that are even possible to embed on a chip like that. Um, some people, you know, have trading strategies that, that simply you can't, you couldn't do that for, but for those that are, are, are very specialized and, and highly tuned, um, that type of performance, uh, can, can, is, is pretty tough to beat.
1: That's incredible. It really is. Do these sorts of things have like a computer screen where they can be monitored or?
2: <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, you, so, so that, that's a, that's a great, uh, a great observation. And the answer is, Generally not, or at least it's not the type of computer screen that you're used to. And so uh, it's a great observation because as you start to go further and further down this rabbit hole... Of of incredibly uh, precise, incredibly uh, 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 tailor made solutions for for you know gaining as much late uh, re- reducing as much latency as possible. All the other things we take for granted uh, in terms of software uh, become harder and harder. So having having a monitor that that you can see everything that's happening, where you can have a, a you know a stop button. Um, Uh, that, that all becomes much, much more difficult, you know, making changes as I alluded to earlier becomes much more difficult. So, so the the people that are doing this, they've got systems in place that, that they can shut things down if they need to. and, And certainly they've got monitoring software that can um, look at something like the equivalent of a drop copy or that can that can keep track of orders that have been placed but it's not a screen like you and I are both used to looking at um because it is something sitting on a on a network device essentially
1: That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is. Man. Wow, my mind's blown. <laughs> yeah. Um okay, so are there any other trends which you anticipate may evolve in the near future like are there any new features you're thinking about adding or like any up and coming things that we should be um mindful of uh
2: you know i mentioned at the start of this call uh i I do think that um everything that we just talked about actually in light of that uh what how can how can a trader uh Differentiate him or herself um, in 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 the face of such rapid technological innovation, and and I think it really it's about trading smarter. And so we and we've talked a lot about this internally at TT over the last few years. You know, as much as we're investing in in speed, um, we also need to and want to invest in in giving tools that allow the trading community to trade smarter and and trade quicker and quicker to quicker to market Uh, you know if you're not going to be the fastest one in a trade if you can be the first one doing it or the safest one doing it there's real value in that and so i think because of of that trend i think with something like machine learning where it's it's one of its primary benefits uh, to our space is uh taking a problem that that most traders are facing today which is being inundated, inundated with, with data, both their own trade data, market data, trying to glean insight from that, so that they can so that they can trade smarter, so that they can analyze their trading activity, potentially glean insights from, from that data. We think that technologies like machine learning, as they become more accessible and more approachable, um, will start to empower even you know an individual trader to. To, uh and, and that really we think is the new frontier in trading is is g- enabling that trader to make more sense of their data um and turn it really from something which is a burden today uh into something that that could be a gold mine um for for new insights and so i think we'll see that trend continue um it's exciting for us i mean we're, we're now just getting our feet wet with with machine learning with, you know uh, by virtue of the norensic acquisition but um, I think you'll start to see a lot of data-related technologies that are more about scale and less about performance um, continue to to emerge and evolve.
1: Right. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, Rick, let me ask you one last question. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring you onto the podcast is just to is to speak with you because you're not a trader, right? But you're very involved in the industry. Obviously, you're the CEO of Trading Technologies, and. Obviously, not everyone is cut out for trading, okay, but that doesn't mean they can't be involved in the industry in some capacity. For anyone who, like, kind of likes the path that you've taken or would like to get involved in a technology company that works in the trading space, is there any advice, I know it's a very kind of broad question, but is there anything you might suggest for someone to, you know, give them a leg up and help them get into this kind of space
2: we have conversations like this you know we have a we have a, a, a big intern program internship program at tt and obviously that's somewhat of a predetermined selected pool of people that that have an interest in our space but they ask those types of questions all the time and, and you know it's it's this is an industry that um is is changing so much from a technology perspective that even the definition of trader has fundamentally changed. Uh, I, I, not, not, I think I know. And, and, and I think when we look at our user base um, more and more um, the, the trader, even the, what you would probably classify as the traditional trader uh, in, in more, more times than not, they're coming into this industry with a highly technical, technical background, computer science, engineering, um, mathematics. Uh, and, and I think that's, Um, Really just a a sign of the times, but also um, uh, indicative of the types of skill sets and and talents that someone needs to to really just to make sense of this world. Um, You know, it's it's, you can't uh, unless you're a very select few. Even just being a quote unquote, you know, old school trader still requires you to be able to manage and analyze and process an incredible amount of data and do so quickly. And and um, and, I, and I think that's that's more and more becoming, you know, the the skill set of of the, the typical type of, of you, know, you know new college grad who's coming into this space. But if someone's a technologist and, and wants to have a leg up, I mean, I I think in in a lot of cases, at least from TT's perspective. Um, uh, uh, having an interest and 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 a, a track record of wanting to and and doing and solving um, interesting technology problems um, will, will certainly give you a leg up. I mean, I would say that roughly fifty percent of the people we interview for uh, for uh, technical roles at TT have some experience in trading. Um, I think it's it's an industry that if you don't if you don't have some passion uh, for uh, for the industry itself, and not just the technology, it's going to be hard to be willing to face the, ch- the incredible challenges that you face every day. And so, I think um, the, the 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 folks who come in to to interview for a technical role who have a have a clear passion for wanting to solve some of these really uh, interesting problems, and sometimes it's even market structure problems, uh, not necessarily you know p- pure technology problems. I think inherently they have a leg up. Um, because we, we know how grueling and brutal this, this industry can, and unforgiving this industry can be. And so we, we, I think, think that people that come to the table with, with a clear predisposition to be interested in the space are probably the ones who are going to thrive the most. Um, so that, 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 that's what I'd say. It's, it's not for the fan of heart as, as I'm sure most of your <laughs> listeners know. Um, and so we, we know we want people to come in who, who, um, who, who think the space uh, in general is, is an exciting one for them.
1: Very good. No, that's awesome, Rick. I think that's, that's really helpful. So if someone wants to find out more about uh, trading technologies, obviously they can go to tradingtechnologies.com. Um, and what about you, Rick? I know you're on Twitter. Um, what's your Twitter handle?
2: Uh, it's the worst for, for, for things like this. Uh, so the company, uh, our, our, our TT account is at trading underscore tech T E C H. Mine is, uh, at Rick underscore lane, except it's, uh, R one C K not R I C K it's R one C K underscore L four N three. Uh, don't ask but that. That's how I spell Rick underscore lane for Twitter. Uh, but, but you can, you can, uh, Uh, the the company is always tweeting my handle out as well so at trading underscore tech is a good, good one to follow as well
1: great and as listeners know I'll be sure to include all those links in the show notes Rick I really appreciate you doing this thank you very much
2: thank you Aaron this was great
1: you've reached the end of this episode of chat with traders but rest
0: assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon